0: Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. Okay, well, let's have a brief word of prayer and ask the Lord to help us in our final session here. Father, once again, we just uh, thank you for your grace upon each of our lives and that you brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and brought us off the ground of unbelief and disobedience onto the ground of faith and obedience. Father, we just thank you for the touch of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts and our minds and our spirits this morning. Just pray you'll bless our final session as we uh, try and bring it all together. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Now, I want you to go back to uh, page three on the bottom there. And uh, uh, this is such an exciting thing. Uh, So, just trying to think. Uh, Ted will put uh, this up, I think. I think. (coughs) And so, what I want to do in our final session under letter G is a tale of three trees. And I think you're just going to find this uh, just amazing, so exciting. Okay, so a tale of three trees. Now, uh, I'm going to use the overhead in a moment, but we'll go through some scriptures. Can understand here, okay now when we what we've been looking at is the you know in Adam and in Christ, and everything the actually the history of the whole Bible really centers around two trees, but there's a third tree that is often sort of overlooked so I want you to sort of work through this with me and I'm going to put uh, this on the on the um, on the overhead in just a minute let's see where we are here Now, some of the translations sort of rob us of of, uh, some of the words here, but I want you to note the theme of the tree, and we're going to go through uh, not all the scriptures here, but uh, under under number one here, so down the bottom of page three, so G, a tale of three trees. Okay, so uh, the first tree, so when we start off here in the book of Genesis, as we've been doing, we have two trees. There's a garden full of trees two major trees and the whole history of the bible and the history of human race centers around this so we've got the tree of the knowledge good and evil we've looked at and the tree of eternal life and how uh, the serpent came in and brought them off of the ground of faith and obedience over the ground uh, ground of unbelief and disobedience and this was death we saw the seven attacks on the word there now Let's just follow, and be patient with me, I want to read some of the scriptures here. So number one, which we've been through here, so Genesis 2.16, you can have every tree of the garden, but of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die, and then, and then God drove them out. Now, go back to Genesis chapter 3 again, and just a, a thought here and there. Genesis chapter 3. All right, now let me read uh, verses uh, 22 and 24 again. So Genesis 3, verse 22 to 24. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man uh, is become as one of us to know good and evil. Now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man he placed at the east of the garden of Eden, cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the tree of life. Now, this is what I, I really believe happens here. As you go through, um, uh, we'll sort of uh, clear this a little bit here. Now, as you go through here, I believe this, uh, as we, we uh, look at the word here, we find that this was actually the first tabernacle, and I'm going to call this the tabernacle of Eden, and we'll just sort of put it in a diagram form to help us. So, the tabernacle in Eden, the Garden of Eden. So, this is the thought we have. Why in here, in the most holy place, I'm going to use tabernacle language, was the tree of eternal life. And what did God do? He put cherubims... Cher- uh, anyway, you know what it is. You, you, you spell it right. I haven't got time. You know. Okay, cherubims and, and a flaming sword. And this sword must have turned every which way to guard the way to the tree of life. So that was like the most holy place. And then we have, by implication here, and when the, when it says God placed here... It's actually God caused to dwell or to tabernacle. Cherubim is in the flaming sword. And by implication, we have the body and blood of a sacrificial victim. And later on, you'll find that the priest uh, in the book of Leviticus, uh, he was given the, the skin of the animal. So this sort of constituted Adam and Eve as priests in their family. Uh, family priesthood. And so when Adam and Eve, and, and, and you realize, though this is implication, that the Garden of Eden wasn't destroyed to the flood. And so when all the godly saints gathered together uh, to meet the Lord, where do you think they met? I believe that they met here at the Gate of Eden. So this was the gate. So here we have the gate. And God had the flaming cherubim and the sword, or flaming sword and the cherubims, guarding the tree. Now, let's run ahead a little bit on this part. When you come to the next major revelation, and we have what we call the Tabernacle of Moses, this is what we find. We find God now fully extending this. So, we have the outer court. This is not the scale, of course. And then in the most holy place, we have the Ark of the Covenant, and the cherubim, and then we have the altar of incense, the golden lampstand, table of showbread, and in the outer court we have the brazen laver and the uh, brazen altar. So the way of approach now was any Israelite who wanted to come to God, they had to come through the blood and through the water. The priests had to wash. So when Jesus died on the cross, they pierced his side, and forth came blood and water. Then as they came from the outer court, the priest would go into here and when he went within the veil, notice the, 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 the change now. Instead of cherubim and a flaming sword, we have cherubim. We have uh, uh, cherubim here, cherub and cherub, and then we have a bloodstained mercy seat. So what does that mean? Blood is the evidence of death. Somebody has been through the sword and put the blood on the mercy seat. So now God moves from cherubim and a flaming sword guarding the tree of life to cherubims and the bloodstained mercy seat. Then when he goes to the temple of Solomon, it's a further revelation. So there's just a progressive revelation of God in the thing. So that's the picture. So, okay, so we have the uh, they've partaken of this tree. Uh, this tree is cut off from them. All right, now, let's go to uh, number two, Exodus chapter 15, Exodus 15. Now, these are only little words, but we'll just see that God has something in mind. Exodus chapter 15, and we'll pick up in verse 23, or we'll go to uh, verse 22, Exodus 15, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days, keep that in mind, three days, not two days, not four days, three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And depending on your translation, of course, it says, And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a what? A tree. Why a tree? Okay, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet, and there he made uh, for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them. Go on in the same passage and uh, said, If you will diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statues, I'll put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they encamped there. Let me give you another picture here. In the picture we have here, we have this number three, three days journey, and then in Elam, they have 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, and then in this here, God gave Moses the revelation of a tree, and when he threw the tree into the waters, God revealed his name as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. The healing covenant was given here. Now, when you come way over to the New Testament, <laughs> <in there. laughs> I'm not going to mess up my beautiful diagram. Uh, what have you got? Three days and three nights, 12 apostles, 70 others, and Calvary's tree, and Jesus the healer. So this is the church in the wilderness. 3, 12, 70, revelation of the tree, healing. So we have tree of knowledge of good and evil, Tree of life cut off, now the healing tree. Now, let's go to the next one here. Uh, Go to the book of Acts, and I'd like you to look at these scriptures. It's so simple yet so profound. Did you know that the word uh, cross in Old old King James, New King James, is never used once in the book of Acts? Every time they refer to the death of Jesus, it's always a tree. Why? Why? We'll see in a little while. So let's go to Acts. How many think the Bible could be inspired? Okay, Acts chapter 5, and we'll pick up particularly verse 30. I put down the passage there, but verse 30. Peter's speaking here, and he said, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Just think, the word cross, now I believe in the word cross, Paul uses both, but it's never used that way. It's always the tree. Uh, And this is where some of the translations sort of rob us of of the truth of this because they put the word cross because they think, oh, people don't know what a tree is, so let's put the word cross. No, in doing so, they've robbed us of something here. So, a tree, all right? Uh, Go to Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, and uh, Peter is speaking again. Acts chapter 10 and verse 39. I'll give you the whole passage so I'm not just quoting a verse out of its context. But but for time, uh, time say, Acts chapter 10 and verse 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Again, the tree. All right, go to Acts 13 and verse 29. And now this is the Apostle Paul. So Peter uses the word tree, and and Paul does. So Acts chapter 13 and verse 29. So referring to the death of Jesus, and it says, Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb, but God raised him from the dead. So notice we have this progressive revelation. The tree in Eden, two trees in Eden, then the tree for the healing covenant, Three, 12, 70, uh, and that, that pattern and the tree. And now in the book of Acts, the tree. Now let's go to your new page. I've just given you page uh, uh, 4 here. And let's go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. And Paul writing to Galatians, he, he's quoting from an Old Testament scripture. Galatians 3 and verse 13. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. There it is. Wow. So he's quoting that, and I'll put you cross-reference there. Deuteronomy chapter 21, 22, and 23. So, curse is everyone that hangs on a tree. Let's go over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. As I said, some of the translations sort of rob you of this whole thing, and uh, just put in the word cross. And we do believe in the cross, but they've robbed us of something of the tree here. So, First uh, Peter, and chapter two, and verse uh, twenty-four, particularly. Let, uh, let's read the context a little bit on this. So verse 23, Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. So the tree again. And then let's go to the final book. So notice what we've done. We've gone from first mention, progressive mention, Comparative mention, and now we're coming to the final, complete mention in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, and this is very significant. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life. Now here's a significant thing you might like to make a note of. In Genesis, there's two trees. The tree of the knowledge of goodness, the tree of life. But in the book of Revelation, the tree of knowledge is not there. The only tree mentioned in Revelation is the tree of life. <laughs> now, this is interesting. This is the first church that's left its first love, and he's uh, telling it to do the first word of the gospel, which is repent. And he gives this first church returning to first love and doing the first works. And the first word of the gospel, repent. This is the first promise he gives to the overcomer. And this is the first thing that man lost, the tree of life. To him that overcomes, will I give to eat of the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. So what we lost in Genesis is now restored in Revelation. Isn't that awesome? But it's to the overcomer. Okay, Revelation 2.7. Let's go to Revelation chapter 22. And we have uh, two or three references here Or well, the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, and pick up in verse uh, 2. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded his fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing, or literally the health of the nations, and there was no more curse but the throne of God and the Lamb will be, and his servants shall uh, serve him. So the tree, and then go down to verse 14, and old, old authorized on this. Blessed are they that do his commandments. What thoughts come to your mind? Adam failed to do his commandments. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they might have the right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates in the city. Oh, here it is. At the gate of Eden, there was a sword and the cherubims because Adam and Eve failed to do his commandments. Now the last book, so from Genesis to Revelation, blessed are they that do his commandments that they might have the right to the tree of life and enter in through the gate. Obviously, that's the first mention of gate in the Bible. How many think the Bible could be inspired? I mean, here's John under inspiration. And then in verse 19, uh, in the margin generally in marginal, it says, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, and in my marginal, I have, it's got book of life, it's got tree of life. Take away his part from the tree of life, from the holy city and from the things that are written therein. Okay, now, I've, I've, I've said all that to you, but let's just sort of, if you want to get at least the gist of this, this is putting it in diagramic form. Okay, so Genesis, the two trees, tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then Exodus 15, three days, three, twelve, and seven. pattern, the bitter waters, and God showed Moses a tree, revelation, and they gave him the healing covenant, I am Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals thee. We have this pattern. Then we come to Deuteronomy 21:23, Galatians, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Then in the book of Acts, Every reference to the death of Jesus, they slew him and hung him on a tree. Then in the Peter, uh, he took our own sins in his body on the tree. And then in the book of Revelation, the tree of eternal life is restored to the overcomer. What's happened to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It has exhausted its fruitfulness in the tragic history of the human race. And do you realize this, that in the book of Revelation... God wanted man to have the knowledge of good and evil, but not by experience. But all the redeemed will say, "Hey, we've had a bellyful of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's have a big bite of the tree of life, and so we will be like God in His image, but we will have had the sad experience of the history of the human race." That's that's the picture that we have. Wow two trees. Now let me sort of bring this all together and somehow think I've got it here. So a tale of three trees tree of the knowledge of good and evil, tree of eternal life, Calvary is a tree. And if you can sort of take a little bit of this and let's put down some of the contrasts. So why did God pick out this theme of the tree? was, now listen carefully to this because it's not on your notes here. Calvary has two sides to it. On the One side of the cross, the tree, Calvary is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why do I say that? Listen to it. Through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin, sickness, disease, death, the curse, and Satan's kingdom all came. And when Jesus died on the tree, on the death side of the cross, what was he doing? He was taking our sin, our sickness, our disease, our death, Our curse, everything that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil brought upon man when Jesus died on the tree. It makes me just want to cry. Wow, Jesus, you're so wonderful. He did this for us. Man sinned by a tree, Jesus hung on a tree. Sin and sickness and disease and the curse and death, everything came by a tree. And when Jesus died on the cross, on the tree, he was taking all that we inherited In Adam, in himself on the tree. Let me say, oh, Jesus, just just worship you, Lord. You're so wonderful. This is our Savior. Uh, I mean, the more I think of this, I just say, Lord, I just so love you. I so want to please you. You brought us back to this tree. Wow. So that's on the death side of the cross. But on the resurrection side of the cross, so the other side of the cross, so think on the death side of the cross, Jesus is hanging on the tree, and taking all that we inherited in Adam in himself. But on the resurrection side of the tree, what is it? It's life. It's righteousness. It's health. It's healing. It's blessing. And it's the kingdom of God. So on the death side of the cross, we inherit. he took everything that we inherited in Adam, but now on the resurrection side, he's reversed it. So now we come into blessing not the curse. We receive righteousness, forgiveness, everything on the resurrection side. So so what the Lord is doing is saying, come to Calvary's tree. Calvary's tree brings us back to the ground of faith and obedience. Faith in the word and obedience to the word. How many can say hallelujah? Yeah, okay. Now let's go to letter H. Hope hope you've got what I'm trying to do there. How many see that progressive revelation? All right, so letter H as we sort of try and wrap this up a bit. We'll probably have a bit more time for questions than we realize. Uh, H, out of Adam into Christ. So how do we get out of being in Adam to coming into Christ? All right, number one, the revelation of Christ in the gospel. And so we read that last night, Romans 10. So then faith. So how, 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 how will they hear unless they hear a preacher? How will they preach unless they be sent? How will they be sent unless, you know, God calls, so forth. So it's a revelation. And that's, that's the purpose of us preaching the gospel, to try and get man to create faith in the hearts of people. Then number two, step number two, which we're more familiar, familiar with, is repentance. So the first word of the gospel is not only believe, the first word of the gospel is repentance. So John the Baptist came saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, and Jesus came saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we've already done this in 2 Corinthians 11. Sin entered through the mind. And what is repentance? It's basically a change of mind. From running away from God with your mind against God, It's repentance is right about turn. And coming towards God is a complete change of mind. Uh, You see, the prodigal son illustrates this. The prodigal son didn't come to his uh, father's house until he had a change of mind. And it's interesting for those who pick up seed here, in that uh, chapter, what I call the lost and found chapter, there's three parables of lost and found. There's the lost and found sheep, there's the lost and found coin, and there's the lost and found son. The shepherd went looking for the lost sheep, And the woman went looking for the lost coin, but the father never went looking for the lost son. Why? See, it says he came to himself. So he didn't come back to the father till he came to himself. That was a change of mind, repentance. Then the next step, the next hour, I have about seven of them, which I can't remember, was after repentance, return. What am I doing here with these smelly old pigs hogging out? You know, I will arise and go back to the Father. Step three, confession. I'll say, Father, I've sinned. Okay? Then it ends up with the final uh, reconciliation. We, we say, the only two unhappy people that day was the fatted calf and the, and the elder brother. <laughs> they were the only two unhappy ones. That's a good study in itself. So there was a change in mind. So when we preach the gospel and present Christ... I mean, we may not use all this, of course, but it's to create faith. So repentance, change of mind. and then So repentance is a change of mind, and faith is coming towards God. So, number three. So then faith comes, or faith is created, and Hebrews 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, but repentance precedes faith. Then number four, obedience. So I've said this so many times here. Christ came to bring us back to the obedience from which Adam fell. Now, I want you to go over to a couple of scriptures there on this issue of obedience. Because this is a challenge of all our life, to obey God's word. You know, people sometimes say, well, I'm never going to be water baptized. I'll pray about it. You don't have to pray about it. You just obey it. The issue is obedience. That's That's the thing. So let's go to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19. And uh, I'll put down verses 1 through to 6 here, but we'll just read uh, uh, two or three verses. Verse 5. So God, uh, I will read verse 1. So in the third month, which is the month of Pentecost, after the children, Passover was the first month, this is the third month, which is the feast of Pentecost. After the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God. You never go down to God. You always go up. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and say, Thus shalt thou stay. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And here's the issue. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, the issue is obedience, and keep my covenant, then you'll be a special uh, treasure to me above all people, for the earth, all the earth is mine, and you will be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was God's purpose at Pentecost. But the issue is obedience. Now, go over to um, the next scripture I've got there. Uh, Where are we here? Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 7. Now, I know I've been saying this over and over again. Christ died to bring us back to the faith and obedience from which Adam fell. That's the issue. So, go to Jeremiah chapter 7. And I want you to notice how many times the issue of obedience is raised here. Jeremiah chapter 7. And uh, let's pick up in verse uh, 22. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse, verse 22. And if you, if you do mark your Bible, I'd like you to either underline the word or circle the word. I've circled it in my Bible here. Verse 22. For I did not speak to your fathers who command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. God didn't say anything about that until they got you know, on the wrong ground. But this is what I commanded them saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God and you shall be my people. Issue is obedience, and walk in the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. But what was their response? Yet they did not obey, nor incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward, backsliding. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants of prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me, nor incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. So you shall say to them, This is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and been cut off from their mouth. So you notice the word obey is used in verse 23, 24, 26, 27, 28. So we can see the importance of Romans 5 now, through one man's disobedience. Many were made sinners by one man's obedience. So, as I said, Christ died to bring us back to the obedience from which Adam fell. So am I obeying the word? That's it. That's it. Obedience. All right. Then uh, number five on your notes here. And I've said enough on this. So out of Adam. So when we come to the cross... Of Jesus and realize that Jesus took everything that we inherited in Adam he took it in this tree and we come to repentance and faith we're back on the ground of obedience this side of the of the cross the resurrection side how many can say amen on that so the issue is obedience so out of Adam or changing our man so change your old man and and when Paul talks about the old man and the new man the old man is Adam. It's the old Adamic nature. The new man is Christ. So when you talk about the old man, you're not talking about your father. We're talking about Father Adam, okay? So oh, where's your old man? Say, so, hey, way back in the garden. I'll fix him. <laughs> yeah, so we change their man. So out of Adam into Christ. And then number six, into Christ and Christ in you. Now, I'm not sure if i got some references here or not as we sort of bring up here. Uh, all right, let's, let's just take uh, some of these verses here. Second, So uh, this is what I want to say, I'll sort of try and bring this together here. Uh, in the New Testament, there's two aspects about our position. We are either in Christ, and then the other side of the coin is Christ in you. So let's sort of look at this a little bit. Uh, The the expression in Christ is used about 130 times in the New Testament. I've got a list of them somewhere. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. So it all becomes meaningful. So now I was in Adam. I lived a life of sin and disobedience and unbelief. But now through this tree, I've come to being in Christ. So we're in Christ this morning. Isn't that wonderful? So we've changed our position. We've changed our man. <laughs> the old man, Adam, that's what he's referring to. So 2 Corinthians 5.70, we all know what it says. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Why don't you put down next to that a new creature or a new creation? And if ever you get the time of that, it would be good for you to go through the 130 references. Okay, okay. Go down to um, the ones you're more familiar with for the moment. Romans 8, down the bottom there, Romans 8, verse 1. What does it say there about being in Christ? There's no condemnation. Just put that next to it, no condemnation. So what I'm saying here, this is a good study for you to do. Let's find all the blessings that we have now in Christ. We've had a lot of bad news in Adam, (laughs) but now in Christ. So in Christ, I'm a new creation. In Christ, there's no condemnation. Uh, Finish the rest of the verse as I walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Now you're saying, well, no condemnation, then walking after the flesh. No, that's the condition. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, finish the sentence, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But if I'm walking after the flesh, it brings condemnation. So we've got to quote the whole verse, not just snippets here. Okay, Uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Now if I remember correctly... I think the expression in Christ is used in Ephesians chapter 1 about 12 times. You can put about 12. Uh, So let's just pick out some of the blessings in Christ. Alright, so Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So... What have we got there in Christ? Spirit, all spiritual blessings. So this is just some of the blessings that we have in Christ. Ephesians uh, 1, four, According He he's chosen us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without the blame before him in love. So chosen in him. You just want to put down a brief quote. Chosen in him. Go to verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us, say it with me, accepted in the Beloved. See, in Adam we had rejection. But in Christ, acceptance. We all want to be accepted. We want to be accepted of one another. Church is a safe place where we accept one another. But the issue is, I'm accepted in Christ. You know, in all my battles when I was younger, I had to finally find so well, if nobody else accepts me, I'm accepted in the beloved. You're accepted in Christ. The world's struggling for acceptance. People do, young people, kids do, anything for acceptance. Just to even be with the mob. They want to be accepted. Hey, it's all in Christ. The rejection's in Adam. Verse 7. What else? In whom or in him, what do we have here? Redemption through His blood. What else? The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So what I'm encouraging here is go through some of the references. What we have in Christ. In Adam, we've seen what we got in Him. Bad, bad news. Chapter 1 and verse 11. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance. So an inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose. So it's getting back to the eternal purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So in Christ, we have an inheritance. Put that down. And then just one one more verse. I think you've got the the point here. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, exhortation. Colossians 2 verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so... Walk in Him. So we're to walk in Him. So I've changed man. I'm not in Adam any longer. I'm in Christ. I'm a walk in Him. I've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. I'm a new creation. There's no condemnation. I'm just walking in Him. I've changed my man. Hallelujah. Now, let me sort of finish on this. Let's go over to the other column. And uh, sort of challenge us all on this. How many are really trying to live the Christian life? Put your hands up. Some of you are not going to get caught, are you? (laughs) henry you've got a lying spirit. Okay. Now, listen to this. It might sort of shock you, the approach. But for years I struggled, you know. And it was a man, I'll say his name in a moment, come along. And I was trying to be a Christian, really struggling to be like Christ. And and, uh, I was was what I call a Christian yo-yo, up and down, up and down. In fact, it was so bad, I was so bad, even when I was a, a minister in the AG, way back in the dark ages there, people would come in and they said, we can tell the moment we enter the door where Kevin is, whether he's having an up day or a down day. Every Sunday. And I was such a yo-yo Christian. I thought, wow, because I'd be droopy and, you know, droopier than normal. Just a yo-yo Christian. Then finally, a brother by the name of Major Ian Thomas, nothing to do with Salvation Army, but a chaplain, I think he was, Major Ian Thomas, he came along and gave this other side of the coin to me. So I want you to look at this like this a coin. A coin has two sides. One side of the coin is being in Christ. The other side of the coin, I didn't understand, was Christ in you. So do you know what he said? I'd like you to take this down or say it a couple of times. He said, if you're trying to live the Christian life, give it up. Now, let me ask you another question here. Let's continue. How many believe that God gives to man things that are impossible to do? Now, most preachers would disagree and say, well, God would never give it to man anything that's impossible to do. Yes, he does. Okay, you're learning something. Don't exercise your leg muscles and jump to conclusions until I'm finished. When God gave them the Ten Commandments, now we've looked at that, said, I want you to obey my voice. Seven times, I think it was, when Moses went up to God, when Moses came up to God, then he came down to him and said, these are the words. And do you know what the people said? I think it's at seven times. They said to Moses, you go and tell God all that the Lord has said we will do. She'll be right, mate. And so God, you know what God did? God said, okay, I'm going to put you on the road of the law, 1,500 years of self-effort, and I'm going to let you prove to yourself that you cannot be perfect and keep my commandments because they didn't understand the law of sin that was in them. And at the end of the 1,500 years of trying to keep the law, which was impossible, They met Jesus and rejected him, but to those who accepted him. Because then Romans 8 goes on, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death, this side of the cross, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But they didn't know it. So God gave them something impossible to do. Uh, Because they boasted, said, oh, anything God says, we'll, we'll do. She'll be right, mate. And God said, okay, I'm going to let you prove it to yourself. Because they didn't know that the external law here told them what to do and gave them no power to do it. But there was a stronger law in them, the law of sin and death. That was it. Now, let's come to what Jesus did. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, it was an impossible sermon to keep. I remember one brother I worked with years ago, just a new Christian. Someone whacked him across the face at work there. And he said, well, Jesus said, turn the other side. He said, hit the other side. And then he said after that, when he hit him on the other side, he said, well, Jesus didn't say what to do after that. And he punched his lights out. (laughs) Now, don't you do it. He was a new convert, okay? Only if you're a new convert can you do that. So when Jesus said, live the Christian life, It's impossible to live the Christian life. Now, let me give you what uh, Meiji and Timer said. He said, the only one who can really live the Christian life is Christ. So it's one thing for us to come out of being in Adam and another thing for us to come to be in Christ. So here's the thing I want you to take down after all that. He said, the Christian life is the life Christ lived then, lived by him now in you. In other words, he said, and I'll say that again, it's Christ reliving his life in you. And see, I understood about being in Christ, but I never understood the truth of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the other side of the coin. So let me say that again, see if you can take a bit of it down at least. What is the Christian life? The Christian life is the life Christ lived then, lived by him now in you. So the Christian life, is Christ reliving his life in us? That's it. So I'm not struggling and striving. I say, Jesus, you've taken me out of being an Adam into Christ. Come and relive your life through my redeemed personality. Wow, that's awesome. And that's years ago, but it it changed me. It stopped me being a yo-yo Christian up and down. Because I said, Lord, I can't live the Christian life. I've really tried. And I've been such a yo-yo Christian. And it's like the Lord said, Kevin, let me come and relive my life in your redeemed personality. That's the Christian life. How many think that's revolutionary? Yeah. See, so the Christian life is the life Christ lived then, lived by him now in you. It's Christ reliving his life in you. So that's one side of the coin. And many Christians know that they are in Christ but they haven't come to the other side of the revelation, Christ in you. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to come in for a landing soon. Wow. Oh, I mean, these things just still blow me away. Go to Colossians chapter 1 and listen to it. Oh. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. And uh, where are we? Yes, let's go to verse um, 25. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among you which is Christ in you. It doesn't matter whether you say Christ among you, but Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you mark your Bible, note the three a uh, fold ministry of Paul in verse 28. Him we preach, number one, warning every man, number two, teaching every man in all wisdom, and number three, that we may present every man. So warning every man, teaching every man, presenting every man. There's a whole sermon right there, Paul's three-fold ministry. So what is the mystery? Christ in you. Go over to Galatians while we're there, just a few more verses. Uh, Galatians chapter 2. How many feel you're getting something out of this? It revolutionized my life. So I've given up trying to live the Christian life because God gave me something impossible to do. Why? Because He wanted me to depend upon Him. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. Where are we? I am crucified with Christ. Wow, that takes me to the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That, this is the other side. And I never knew. I've heard much about being in Christ, but I never heard anything about Christ in you. That's what changed me. Galatians 4.19. Listen to what Paul says here. For Galatians 4.19. He says, My little children for whom I labor in birth again until what? Christ is formed in you. Christ being formed in us. Where's the formation? You think of a little child being formed in the womb of the mother. Christ being formed in you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Just the scriptures you got there. Ephesians 3, 17. That Christ may dwell, and the word dwell there is literally tabernacle, that Christ may tabernacle in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, and so forth. First uh, John four seventeen. I'm going to quote. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Go to Second Corinthians second Corinthians six. And then we'll sort of come in for a landing. Wow. I don't know how you feel. I just, I just feel overcome with this. It just, it just overcomes me. Just God's grace. Wow. Yeah. I just, I, I just want to fall and worship Him. Yeah. Just the glory of it. Okay. Uh, verse Second uh, Corinthians chapter six and pick up in verse seventeen. Wherefore come out from among them and be separate says the Lord, do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive, receive you. I will be a father to you, because God wanted a family. And you will be my sons, praise God, and daughters, says the Lord Almighty, says sons and daughters, because God wanted a family. Therefore, having these promises, what promises? Verse, uh, oh, I missed the pre- uh, verse 16, didn't I? What agreement has the temple of God with ours? For you are the temple of God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters. Therefore, someone said when you see a therefore, you want to see what it's there for. Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's go down to the bottom of our page and then I'm just about done. Summary. Christ died to bring us back to the ground of faith and obedience to the word of God from which in Adam we fell. Christ died to bring us back to the original purpose he had in creation. Redemption brings us back to God's original purpose, and intention, but on a higher and greater level than even before the fall. We have been taken through the cross of Calvary out of being in Adam to now be in Christ. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm ready to hell, yeah. That's it, that's it. In Adam or in Christ? Thank you, Jesus. Okay, let's have two or three questions and then I'm, I'm done. Okay, all right. See how we go. All right. Okay, Galatians 2:20. I have been crucified with Christ, and uh, with with uh, Ephesians 4, throw off the sinful nature, put on the new man. Uh, if the question is, if the old sinful nature is crucified. Why does it also have to be put off? Okay, uh, if I understand the question correctly, this is how I'd, I'd respond to this, that um, everything in the Bible, uh, there's, there's what I call, I hope this makes sense, there's what I call judicial truth and experiential truth. Now, judicially, when Jesus died on the cross, legally, if we want to say legally, or judicially, when Christ died on the cross, he took my sin my sickness, my disease, my death, he conquered all these things for us, judicially, legally, before the Father. When he said, it's finished, it's finished. But experientially, there's the difference. And so, Paul's saying, I have been. so, uh, may, maybe if I put it this way, so, this is what I see, okay. We have sort of, judicially, when Jesus died on the cross. So, as far as, uh, you know, God is concerned, it's all been done. But experientially, it's not. So I have to walk the walk of faith, the bridge of faith. So I, so I put it this way. The Holy Spirit comes to do in us what Jesus did for us. So how many believe Jesus conquered death? Well, why are you dying? Because for us, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. How many believe Jesus took all our sin? Yeah, and he took our sickness and yet we still get sick, we still, no, we're still we not perfect. So I say, judicially, it all happened at the cross. It is finished, it is done. But experientially, we are on this bridge of faith, and we've got to come into the fullness of the, the last enemy to be destroyed, as far as we're concerned, is death. Yet Jesus conquered death. Okay? So it's just about so. As I understand Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ, so whether I feel like it or not, The Bible's still true. When Christ died, I died. When Christ was buried, I was buried. When Christ was raised from the dead, I was raised. When Christ ascended to heaven, I ascended to heaven because I'm seated with him in heavenly places. That's why I can say to you, keep looking down because everything's supposed to be under our feet. But I'm in Christ. But when he says, put off the old man day by day, we do this day by day. So I, I often pray, Holy Spirit, I want you to do in me what Jesus did for me. So that to me is balance between judicial truth and experiential truth. That, I hope that helps. That's how I'd understand that one. Okay. If heaven is a perfect place where there's no sin and the will of God is done, the glory of God is revealed, how did Lucifer fall for in such a place? I am going to ask God that question myself. (laughs) The the only part answer I could say is what we talked about last night, is that God took the calculated risk and gave the angels a free will. Otherwise, they would have been a bunch of zombies. But that's what Paul said. It's the mystery of iniquity. How could a perfect, sinless creature, you know, as I often say, if pride turned an archangel into a devil, what could it do to me? So it is the mystery of iniquity. They're questions I, I'm gonna ask God, but I do believe that he was given a free will, and all the angels had to have a choice or make a choice, side with Satan and self-will, or side with God and do God's will. So as only, I mean those of you parents, you know, as long as your your kids submit to your good and perfect and acceptable will, there's harmony in the house. <laughs> And so as long as all the angels submitted their free will to the good, perfect, and accepted will of God, there was harmony in heaven. But the moment Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will, as someone has said, that's where the cross began. The cross began in heaven. Because I like this definition. The word cross simply means like uh, two thoughts or two ideas or two pieces of wood crossing each other, contradicting each other. So the moment, uh, the moment Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will, five times, he crossed the will of God. So he went round the bunch of angels and said, look, if you, you're supposed to be free will creations. Why don't you exercise your free will? And uh, I'll give you a position my Ang- Anglican church. I mean, angelic, the angelic church. <laughs> yeah. uh, just teasing you. <laughs> see? So they exercised their free will, which was self-will, and self-will was Satan's will. That's the best I can do on that. Uh, This is a beautiful thought. Lucifer said, I will five times, and crossed God's will, broke the harmony in heaven. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, doing the will of the Father, he received five wounds. And the five wounds that Jesus received on the cross of Calvary, his, his answer Is Satan's five I wills crossing the will of God. That's awesome. Because really the issue is we're all I special, I, 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 I. And when Jesus comes into our life, he puts the horizontal bar. And the cross is the crossing out of our will where we say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That's it. That's it. Okay. Uh, I, oh, maybe it sort of relates to this. I, can't, I still can't understand why an angel can sin in heaven where there's no sin. Yeah, and this is a frightening thought. I understand your teaching on man's probation. Okay. I think the angels were on probation too and it was a test of obedience to the will of God. That's the issue if you'll obey. And so I believe they they, they were on probation too. And this is the frightening thing. thing. Sin began in heaven... It didn't begin on earth. Sin came to earth. Adam and Eve were not the first sinners. They were the first sinners on the human race. But sin came from heaven to earth. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross and took his body and blood back to heaven is because heaven has to be cleansed of sin. If you want to make a note of this, Job 15, verse 15. I'll just quote it. It says, the heavens are not clean in your sight. Why aren't the heavens clean in God's sight? Because sin began in heaven. So you see, the sacrifice of Jesus is far vaster than us and cleansing this earth. Heaven has to be cleansed. And that's what the book of Hebrews is about, that Jesus took his own blood into heaven because the heavens have to be cleansed. And in Revelation 12, the great controversial chapter, Rejoice ye heavens, but woe to the earth, because Satan's been cast, because there was war in heaven. So the plan of redemption is so vast, so comprehensive. I hope that helps on that. And then we're just about through here. Uh, anything else here? Uh, why was the order of Melchizedek? Uh, yeah, we'll have to hold that one. That's another seminar. Okay. What if Adam had not sinned? That's a good one. I'm going to talk to him about that. Would he have procreated a sinless race? No, not without uh, his apple and strife. I mean, his wonderful wife. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's an assumption, but this is my opinion, that I believe Adam really sinned out of love for his wife. And the only reason I say that, and it's only an opinion, is that when Jesus died, let's go back to Adam, because he's a figure of him. Adam bled to provide, probably bled to provide his bride, and his bride came from his side. When Jesus died on the cross, they pierced his side, and forthwith came blood and water, because that was... Because with Adam, the bride was in the, the bridegroom, then brought out on the sixth day. Where's the bride, the church, it was in our Lord Jesus Christ, the bridegroom? He bled to provide his bride. And he did it out of love. He took our sin on him. So I'm inclined to think Adam thought, well, I've lost my wife. I'm going to take the risk and eat it with her. Right. Only thought... Uh, In Revelation 2, 7, it talks about the overcomer. What is an overcomer? I think all I've been talking about, faith, obedience, repentance, faith, obedience to the Word of God, just day by day, letting Christ relive His life in me. Okay, I think that's enough for today. God bless you for being such a wonderful bunch. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching sure to visit kevinconnor.org where you can access PDF downloads of all of Kevin Connor's books as well as his video training courses including the Key of Knowledge Seminar and Foundations of Christian Doctrine.